Today we're going to continue Genesis Unbound. The topic today is the wedding night and the morning surprise. The miracle of the speckled sheep and the spotted goats. Also running away, getting caught and wrestling with God. Would you please take your Bible today? I want everybody please to take a Bible. There are Bibles in the pews if you haven't got one of your own. And come with me to Genesis 29. Genesis chapter 29, verse 1 and onwards. And I'm just so glad to see everybody here today. And I want to give you a very special, warm, cordial welcome. Genesis 29, verse 1 and onwards. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. Uh, but there he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. So this is a family get-together. Verse 6, then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. So here is the introduction to the next first lady, almost, Rachel, who is a shepherdess. Did you know what the name Rachel means? I only discovered that this week myself. Word Rachel means a sheep. In fact, it means a you. And so here comes this beautiful girl. She's a shepherdess, and her name means a sheep. She was a wealthy girl because she came from a very wealthy family, but it was not beneath her dignity to do hard manual work. She was a shepherdess. Read verses 9 and onwards, please. Verses 9 onwards. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father, and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And of course, you know who the father was, don't you? He was the same person that is in the story of Isaac 97 years ago. And his name is Laban. And if ever there was a skinflint and a Scrooge, it is this man Laban, the great deceiver. For the first time in his life, Jacob has met somebody who can out-deceive him. Please read on, verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. What are all these things? Probably told him about the fight with his brother Esau, how he'd had to get out of town and how he was running away 
And so he's obviously at a psychological disadvantage as he meets this man. Verse 14, then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. Folks, you can't get away from her, can you? <laughs> so he's got two daughters, and Jacob has been eyeing one of the girls. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Lear, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Lear had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Love makes duty easy. When love is in the heart, duty is not drudgery, but it's a pleasure. It's the same when you get to know Christ. When you get to know Christ, keeping his commandments is not a burden, but they become a pleasure. And seven years may seem a long time, but because he was in love with the girl and because he had love in his heart, the seven years just went by so quickly. Love is a wonderful thing. We went to a concert at a Newbury Park where my daughter, who's not a soloist, had to sing <laughs> at the school concert. And she sang the song, Love Makes the World Go Round. And it does. Where would we be without love? When love is in the heart, seven years are like seven minutes. They just went by so quickly. Verses 21 and onwards. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. Now, he didn't, he didn't come to Jacob and say the time's up. He was such a Scrooge. He wanted to get this time, as much time as he could. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Now, folks, before we read on, I think I need to explain this a little bit. Because people have said to me, this is a bit too hard to believe. But you see, the Orientals, the Arabs, and these people today do things a little differently to the way we do them. And when they have a feast, it goes on for a long time. The feast lasted seven days. And the bride came veiled. She came veiled. And so the bride came veiled. Often the husband hadn't even seen her before. And she was introduced after the festivities had been going on for some time. And she was introduced when it was dark. So just bear this in mind and be glad that you live in America. 
So, verse 23. But when evening came, he took his daughter Lear and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Lear. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? It's ironic, isn't it? That the man who had deceived his father is now deceived. The Bible has a saying about this. It says, Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we have a saying that chickens come home to roost. And when Jacob woke up and looked over on the other side, the chickens had come home to roost. And he said, what on earth is going on? <laughs> it wasn't Rebecca, but her older sister, the one with the weak eyes. Uh, notice the next verse, would you please? But before we read the next verse, how do you think he felt towards Leah? How do you think Rebecca felt about all of this? I'd imagine Rebecca was seething with jealousy. Rachel? <laughs> Sorry. I imagine you're listening, aren't you? Thank you. I imagine that Rachel was seething. And here was Lear. She was a party to the deception. Is it any wonder that there was always this friction between Jacob and Lear? And so. Here is the catastrophe. It's the morning after. Now verse 26, Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Lear. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban, Laban gave his servant girl, Bilhar, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Lear. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, when I read these verses, you know, isn't it interesting how quiet the church is? People say to me, what are these stories in the Bible for? It's like turning on a soapy. <laughs> Why are these stories in the Bible? Because the story doesn't gloss over human imperfections. The Bible is a very honest book, and it tells the story as it really is. If the Bible was written about you, what sort of story would you find in the Bible, my friend? You'd find a very, very honest story. 
Now, people ask the question because this raises a lot of theological social problems. Here you've got, firstly, bigamy. And then when you read on a little bit further, it's not just bigamy, it's polygamy. Because he then takes the two servant girls. And people say, did the Mormons have it right? <laughs> it is a fact in the Bible that God often overlooks even that of which he doesn't ordain. God did not ordain bigamy or polygamy, but I can take it further in the Bible, friend. I can read you instances of drunkenness. I can read you the story of Noah getting drunk, a prophet of God. I can show you stories of slavery. There were even slaves in the days of Jesus. And Jesus never preached against slavery. Did you know that? Jesus didn't join the civil rights movement. I'm serious. But Jesus taught truths that did away with polygamy and slavery. Now, that's why I'm not a political activist. I believe a preacher's duty is to preach the word of God, and this will take care of all the social problems. Now, these verses tell me something else. They tell me that God takes people where they are, in their blindness and their darkness and their sin, and in his mercy and his grace, God starts to lead them out of the darkness into the light of full obedience. So you can't use these verses, my friend, to defend polygamy or bigamy any more than you can, you can read verses in the Bible that would condone, I should say you can't use these verses to condone bigamy or polygamy, just as you can't use verses in the Bible that will condone what apparently is drinking and drunkenness and slavery and lots of other abominable practices. So God takes people where they are and leads them gradually into the light. But two wives were a certain prescription for a family feud. Notice verse 31 and 32. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And the word Reuben, the name Reuben means see, a son. And so when this boy was born, she triumphantly said, see, I have produced a son, and therefore my husband will love me. And this was just the very start. Verse 33, she conceived again when she gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, which means hearing. God has heard my prayers. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi, and Levi means Attachment. She said, he will become attached to me and he'll stay with me and I'll be the number one wife in this relationship because I'm successful at having sons. And uh, then you come down to the next verse. The next verse, verse 35. The Bible says, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time 
I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children for the time being. The word Judah means the praised one. And these sons became the children of Israel. This is where it all started. And from the tribe of Judah came the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the one to be praised. Now look at chapter 30, would you please? Chapter 30. I'm not going to read all this chapter. Verses 1 and onwards. When Rachel saw that she was not bear, bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she, she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. And Dan is like the word Daniel. It means justice. At last I've got justice. Verse 7, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister. I've won. So she named him Naphtali. Naphtali means wrestling with God. And verse 9, when Leah saw that she'd stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad, which means good fortune. I'm winning the battle. And the following verses, because I'm not going to read them all, being a, a person of discretion. The following verses talk about the birth of Asher, which means the happy one, and Issachar, which means a reward, and Zebulun, which means to dwell, because she said, because I born the son, my husband will dwell with me, and I will be the first wife. Would you please read verses 22 and onwards? Now, Rachel has been barren for 20 years, waiting for 20 years. Then God remembered Rachel. He sometimes seems to forget, doesn't he? Don't you think? God is not in a hurry. Now, I'm in a hurry, and you're in a hurry, but God has got a plan. And God is not on a time schedule. God is patient just as well he's patient, don't you think? The Bible says, because God doesn't change, we are not consumed. God is patient. And so, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. And the word Joseph means he takes away. It means he takes away my reproach. Uh, you may say to me, why the struggle between these women? The worst thing, my friend, that could happen to an oriental woman was to be barren. 
barren woman was less than useless. And so here we have a case of barrenness. Rachel is barren. The other woman is winning the battle. And the most glorious thing that a person could have in those days was a big, big family. Because a big family was a sign that God was with you. It was a sign of prosperity. And they would do almost anything to have big families. Now, I want you to notice verses 25 and onwards because it tells us how Jacob became wealthy in spite of an unscrupulous father-in-law. This is a strange story. Verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me back on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you. I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I've found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. What's this divination? This is condemned in the scriptures. This is a form of spiritualism. So here we've got polygamy, bigamy, and spiritism. But remember, Laban is not one of the children of God. Laban is an idolater, but he's related to the children of God. And so he's worked out by divination that God is with this man. Verse 28. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fed under my care. That little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? He asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. So Laban, the Scrooge in the story says, I have got a good deal. Now I'm going to tell you a little superstition that got here into the Bible. It's not taught in the Bible as truth. It's a superstition. Jacob believed and others believed that when the act of mating occurred, whatever the sheep or the goats were looking at was passed on to the offspring. So when the sheep were mating, if they looked at speckled things, their offspring would be speckled. So when you read these verses, what Laban did, when the animals came into mate, 
when they're in season. He got some trees and stripped off the bark so that underneath the white was seen and the speckled. He did not understand the law of genetics, that what you look at isn't passed on to your offspring. Isn't that a blessing? And so he didn't understand the law of genetics, but God did. And God can overrule some of the funny ideas that we have. And very quickly, all the flocks started to become speckled. And Laban discovered that it wasn't such a good deal at all because the flocks of Jacob became prodigious. Thousands and thousands and thousands of striped and spotted and speckled animals. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Now, let me tell you folks something. Jacob's prosperity did not happen because of his theory, but it happened because of the blessing of God. These verses, as I was reading them this week, brought a great thought to my mind. Even when people are working against you, like Laban, scheming, doing all sorts of rotten things behind your back, the blessing of God will overcome the plans of the enemy. There is a text in the Bible that says, the blessing of God makes rich. We live in a scheming world, do we not? I turned on CNN, I think it was yesterday. They were discussing what's going on in Washington. They had a bunch of lawyers there talking. And it was assumed that everybody is a liar in Washington. Everybody is a cheat. I don't believe it's true. I think some are. And people ask the question in today's society when there is so much cheating, scheming, and fraudulent activity, how can an honest person make an honest living? It's simple. Do what is right and trust in God. The blessing of God makes rich. Here Jacob was struggling basically by himself against a shrewd, crooked overlord. But God could make speckled sheep out of white sheep and black sheep, not because of what Jacob had tried to do to bring about the will of God, but because God was going to bless him because God said he would. I want to say to every person here today, if you do what is right and trust in God, God can turn a curse into a blessing because the blessing of God makes rich. I want you to know these verses today are true. Would you come now to chapter 31? Chapter 31. And this is where he says, I've had enough. Chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. 
Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. Now, I want you to think about this. I've had folks in this church come to me and they have said to me, Pastor Carter, I have a terrible work situation. I have somebody who's got it in for me. I don't know what to do. My friend, you need not fear if God is with you. If God is with you, you need not fear the machinations or the crookedness of men. I'm going to make a confession to you folks. In this part of the world, I found the most decent, the most honest people I've met anywhere in the world, the most loyal. I've also met the most unscrupulous, the most lying, the most fraudulent, the most crooked. But I want to tell you, we need not fear fraudulent liars and crooks if we have God with us. They may change your wages seven times. <laughs> seven times in six years that old scoundrel changed his wages. But God blessed him. Let man change your wages seven times. Let the crooks be crooked. Let the liars lie. Let the frauds be fraudulent. But let God be with us. And if God is with us, my friend, we need not fear because God will give us lots and lots and lots of speckled sheep. You hear this? These chapters help me. They bless me. I want you to notice as we read on a little further. I want you to notice verse 8 and 9. If he said the speckled ones will be, will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. You notice it was God who did it. Now verse 14 and onwards. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in, in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you to do. So Jacob put his children and his wives on camels. And he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had and, cross, and crossing the river, that's the Euphrates, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. What comes into your mind when you read this story? You know about these gods? You know what they were? That Rachel stole? They've discovered thousands of them. 
They were fertility goddesses. Little naked statues, fertility goddesses. You know why she stole them? So she'd get pregnant. So here is a girl, the mother of Joseph, stealing, and old Jacob hasn't got over the old sin of deceit. Now people say to me, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> because there's so much of it in the world, is there not? And it's in the Bible to teach us this, that grace is greater than all of our sins. God can save any man. God can save any woman. God can save any fornicator, adulterer, liar, cheat, deceiver, if that person will come to God in repentance. And so here you got this girl, Rachel. She steals her father's gods. And then you've got this man, Jacob, with the sin of deceit still in his soul. And he ups, and he goes. But God isn't finished with him yet. That's the good thing. I noticed a, um, a bumper sticker the other day, and you've seen it. Everybody's seen it. It says, God isn't finished with me yet. When I read these stories, and Beverly said it to me last night, she said it gives us hope. The greatest truth in the Bible, you know what the greatest truth in the Bible is? Is the love of God, that God puts up with us. <laughs> God puts up with us. You may say, well, I'm a great person. God even puts up with that. He's a God of love. And when you read the Bible, you read stories of amazing mercy. You read stories of amazing grace. That gives me hope to carry on because I'm a sinner saved by grace. The further on I go, I don't seem to be getting better. I seem to be getting worse in many ways. But did you know the servant of God said, the closer we come to Christ, the more imperfect will appear in our own eyes? The closer you come to Christ, you won't feel that you're getting better. You'll feel that you're getting worse because you're getting closer to God. But the Bible tells a story of amazing grace and incredible patience. Now, if God was so patient with that scoundrel, Jacob, and that sassy Rachel, <laughs> and that deceitful, weak-eyed Lear, then maybe you and I ought to be patient with each other and patient with our children and patient with our husbands when they're pains and patient with our wives because God isn't finished with us yet. Now please read on, would you, dear hearts? Notice verse 55. We're going to miss out a chunk of this. I'm sort of being the censor. Verse 55. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then they left and returned home. They had a big fight. Well, it almost could have been a big fight. But God came and said, don't, said to Laban, don't touch this man. Let them go on their way. 
and there was a reconciliation and they kissed and they say goodbye. And with this verse, you never read of Laban again. That chapter of 20 years, hard labor was now closed and a new chapter in the life of Jacob and his family is about to begin. And perhaps it's the most significant of all. Notice chapter 32, the chapter on struggling with God. Chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels, angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanam, Mahanam. Do you believe in angels? I believe in angels. Who are these angels? What are they? Are they people? Yes, they're people, but they're not human beings. But they're supernatural beings. Often they have visited this earth. They've been described by the term, the young man. When the angel was there in the tomb of Jesus, he's described as a young man, bright, shining, full of glory, full of power, full of strength, and full of wisdom. And so as Jacob and his family go on the way, going home after 20 years, the angels of God go with them. I believe that when you're doing the will of God, you can have the presence of angels. If God calls you today to go and work in some awful area of Los Angeles, you can go there with confidence and know that the angels of God will be with you if you're doing the will of God. That's the beauty of it. So the angels of God go with him. Now notice verses 3 and onwards. Jacob sent messages ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant, Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I've cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Esau hasn't forgotten. Jacob wants to tell him, forget about this birthright. You're not the servant, I'm the servant. I'm not your Lord, you're my Lord. When the message comes back, it is a message that is fraught with tremendous significance. Esau is coming, all right, and he's got 400 armed soldiers. And so, if you believe in praying, Jacob, you better start to pray because this man is mad. And so, as an act of appeasement and conciliation, Jacob sends him 550 sheep and cattle to soften his heart. Verse 7, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. Don't go any further. In great fear and distress. Think of the text we read before. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. He brought this upon himself. Would you like to know the main cause of our fears and our distress? Like to know what it is? It's our sins, our sins, our separation from God. When a man is separated from God, 
even though he's had the promise of God, when a man has got sin and a guilty conscience, he's full of fear and distress. And in Jacob's mind came the thoughts of 20 years ago, the deception, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, the downright crookedness and the meaning, the meanness, and therefore he's full of fear. Verse 8, he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that has left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I don't need my staff when I cross this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Here at last is the prayer of the penitent sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, because I am unworthy. And the Spirit of God had been working on the heart of this man, the deceiver. And now he, he prays the prayer of the penitent sinner, sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. Not because of my goodness, but because of your great mercy. It's, it's a wonderful prayer because it shows that God was changing his heart. Come down to verse 21. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. In fact, it's not just a little ford, it's a great gorge, and he takes them across. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Now think about this. Here is a man who sends his family over the brook or over the, the gorge, and it's like a canyon, like a little Grand Canyon. And there he's left by himself. You think what goes through his mind. He thinks of what he did with his father, Isaac. He thinks of all of the intrigue, all the lying, all the cheating, all of the stealing. And there he's by himself alone. And while he's by himself alone and he's praying to God, God have mercy on this sinner. God save my family, not because I'm worthy, but because of your mercy. When he's there by himself alone, as every man ultimately must stand before God, not as a church, but as individuals. There he is alone. And as he's praying to God and confessing his sin, he feels a hand upon his shoulder. And there is more than a man. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob he answered, which means deceiver. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. 
Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Who was this mysterious stranger? Who was he? God. Hard to believe, isn't it? The Bible says the man, the angel of the covenant, Yahweh Elohim, El Shaddai, the almighty God. And there in the darkness and in the fear, worrying about his sins, he struggles with God and God can't get the victory over him. God says, I can't beat this man. You know why? Because of grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. He says, let me go because the day breaketh. He says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He says, what is your name? Jacob. What is your name? Deceiver, supplanter, the heel. He says, no longer will you be called Jacob, but Israel, which means he struggles with God and prevails. What a story. And so he names the place Peniel. El, of course, means God. It means the face of God. Their God broke him to make him, bruised him to bless him, crushed him to crown him an overcomer. The next verse says that he went on his way limping. He was limping, but he was saved. Maybe that's the way we're all going to go to the kingdom of God. Verse 31 says, this, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Verse 31, let me read it again. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. But he was saved by grace, and he was a new man. No longer a deceiver, no longer a cheat, no longer a liar, but a saved, born-again child of God. What do these verses tell us? These difficult chapters in the Bible that we would sometimes pass over. It tells us that God works with imperfect people because that's all he's got. God is very patient, so don't despair. There is grace for the penitent, grace that is greater than all of our sins. These chapters tell us that our sins are the main cause for our fears. There is a price to pay in consequences. And we may hide from every person, but we can't hide from God. And prosperity is the gift of God. He can take ordinary sheep and make them speckled. He can make you prosperous, even when Laban has changed your wages seven times. And these chapters teach, these last verses particularly teach that he who wrestles with God and holds on through the pain will be an overcomer, an Israelite indeed. My message 
to you is hold on through all the pain, all the pain, and let this place be for you a peniel, the face of God. Kneel down, we'll have prayer together. And Father, these are amazing historical verses, almost difficult to read. They're stories of, of unfaithfulness, intrigue, and jealousy, and deceit. And these were the sins of the best, the best people, the best that God could find in all the world. And so if we belong to the church, we shouldn't think that we're righteous but we are simply sinners saved by grace. We thank you when we think of Rachel and Lear and Jacob and the two concubine girls whose names are recorded, that God must be a very patient person. We thank you he's patient because that gives us hope to carry on. When we think of that old Scrooge Laban who changed Jacob's wages seven times. We can see, though, how God outwitted him. And in spite of Jacob's attempts to outwit Laban, in spite of all of that, God outwitted them both. And God blessed in spite of great adversity. Help us to realize that the blessing of God makes rich. And then we think of Jacob, this man who's come to the end of his tether. He's tried everything, but finally he finds God. And he struggles with God. And even God is powerless in his confrontation with a man who asks for mercy. Because that is a request that God cannot deny. And here at last, at the very, very end, the man who had been so deceitful was changed from Jacob to Israel, a prince of God. He struggles with God and prevails. He struggles through the pain. He holds on. He prevails. Give us the spirit of this man to struggle with God and to hold on through the pain. Until we hear the words, your name is changed from henceforth, you will be called Israel. May that be the name of every person here today. May these words sink down into our hearts. We worship you, bless you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.